You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and I am sadly all alone tonight, this morning, whenever you're listening to this. It's Monday night. Uh, pretty late, actually. It's 11.30 on Monday night. Cranky Fan has a lot of stuff going on with work, um, and uh, so I'm just doing this one solo, and he will catch up on some of his questions, points, and things uh, regarding this game on the Friday episode, which is previewing the Jaguars game. So enough of that. Who cares? Giants win 24-20 over the Baltimore Ravens. Um, they move to 5-1. and one. Dallas lost against Philly, so that puts them in second place in the division, third place in the NFC as a whole. Um, and, uh, you know, I predicted that this would be a win. I thought it would be a little different. Um, but it's more so that it was a come-from-behind victory. It's exciting. They really can show that they compete, and it makes them feel like they are... It's easy to attend and watch these Giants games and laugh at the they're the worst 4-1, and one, they're the worst 5-1 and one team, A, because that's silly, but also B, because these games you can see them competing, and they are competing against good teams. This is a team that in its four wins last year and its wins the years before, the most jazzed we were were after games like against the Saints where they actually looked like a team that was competing. And, um, you know, the year prior, that the game against Seattle where a team that is regarded as being a pretty decent team got upset, you know, team with a backup quarterback. This is what they're doing on a win-by-win basis now. Uh Teams like the Titans, teams like Baltimore. Baltimore, I mean, Baltimore and Green Bay regarded around the league as more than just mediocre teams. Um, maybe by the end of this year, we'll look back and say that they both had mediocre years. But regardless, going up against quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers and winning says a lot more about a win than just a number in a column. In any case... Another really great thing about this win here, other than it just being fucking great to have gone, to have experienced it, and met life, and, you know, Giants Faithful coming out nice and loud for this game, is that they came out of this game relatively healthy, about as healthy as you can after a football game. Barkley, a little bit of a shoulder soreness from the week before. He missed a play or two. Uh, actually, just one play. He's good. John Feliciano looked like he had a groin tweak. I think he missed maybe two drives at most. He came back in to close out the game. We'll see about him. He's probably fine. Andrew Thomas, there was some noise made about maybe a wrap around his ankle, um, but he said his ankle is just sore and he's fine. This is all per Dan Duggan, uh, who's usually my go-to with injury stuff. Man, what a game. What a game. I, I already alluded to it. Um, unlike the cranky fan who was not in attendance for the game or this podcast, uh, <laughs> Giants faithful came out and they came out loud. Um, one of my 
biggest gripes about MetLife Stadium in general is sort of just its atmosphere and its uh, ticket base. Just doesn't like to show up for certain games. They show up when they want to. Um, they showed up this week. They showed up at 1 o'clock on a nice, beautiful October afternoon in which I wore a hoodie for no reason because I was also wearing shorts. It was beautiful out. Um, but they showed up and they got loud. Uh, it was nice to hear the stadium rocking. People who watched on TV, I guarantee you, you heard the stadium rocking. And we saw some results right on the field. The Ravens were jumping with false starts left and right. And honestly, I'm going to get right into this game and it's it's pseudo breakdown that I provide here and start with coaching. Um, because at the end of the day, a game like this, if you watched it, you know that coaching was... It, it, I mean... Coaching was the biggest difference in this game. And it's not to say that Harbaugh is a bad coach, but I think he got outcoached. Because for starters, discipline, like I was saying, it's a huge factor in this game. Baltimore, for a while, might have even been biggest play for the Giants' offense was 15-yard penalties on defense. Um, tons of false starts knocking them out of uh, down-and-distance situations that were only helping... The defense, uh, and, and most importantly, on the on the biggest play of the game, pushing them out of a third and one and into a third and six, uh, in which they even converted on that third and one with an illegal formation penalty. Um, that would lead to the third and six botch snap, Julian Love interception. Pretty much the the defining moment of the game uh, came off of a Ravens penalty, in which they would not have even need to run that play. Uh, so. Uh, you know, coaching in this game, I thought was it's it's a huge part of this game. It's actually something I did want to talk to Cranky Fan about here. Um, one thing before we get into that, though, I thought the challenge was kind of stupid this week. Um, to me, live in the stadium, that looked like a catch. I get it. I guess it doesn't hurt, but just the coaching point. It's not really going in any sort of star or fart column. Just a just a note there. I thought that challenge was kind of dumb, but. I think this is interesting. The decision to kneel on Saquon Barkley's uh, insane spin move in the backfield, by the way, um, and then bounce outside. They're up by four. It's 24-20 because that's how the game ended. Now, to me, look, I get this, right? I get that you slide. They have to use the timeouts. They have two left. They have to do a timeout right there, and then they have to do another one on your first kneel down, and then the game is over. So all you have to do after the slide is successfully kneel three times, the easiest play in football. I get all of that. Um, and I'm not saying it's the wrong decision. And to the point about coaching here, uh, I thought this decision was interesting, and I'm going to get into that in a little bit. But the preparedness was evident, and that speaks to coaching. Okay, uh, Giants fans can immediately harken back to the 2011 Super Bowl in which they were not, as a team, prepared for the Patriots to let them score. They weren't prepared for that. Eli thought of it. He had a moment where he thought he might tell Ahmad Bradshaw not to score, uh, decided against it, and then as soon as he handed off, tried to yell it to him, and it was too late. This speaks to coaches being ready and having their players ready. You know, Even if the coaches didn't have anything about this, then they, they've coached their players well enough to be aware of situations. Uh, I don't think that's the case. But I think it's kind of silly how much praise is going to how 
brilliant it was to slide because it seals the game. Let's be kind of honest about this. It's not like he was going to fumble before scoring. There was nobody in sight. That was a walk-in touchdown. That puts you up 10, 10 points. It's 30 to 20 with a chance at an extra point. Puts you up 11. That's now as that's now saying that the Ravens, with two timeouts and one minute and 10 seconds, have to score two touchdowns. And we're going to act like it's the most brilliant thing in the world that he slid. And I'm not talking about Giants fans. I, I mean the broadcast. Uh, at the stadium... To me, because you're going up 11 if you score a touchdown, something I'd already thought of with a moment of the, inter- uh, the, the strip sack, um, to me, it's six of one half and done on another. I, I don't really – I think it's fine that you want to seal the game. I'm, it technically is the safer route, like I was saying. It's the easiest play in football. You have to execute three times after you slide. So I get that. But it's sort of like a 99%er versus a 98%er. I mean – I don't know. It just kind of reminds me of how my dad has the most perfect way to fill his truck up with the recycling just to throw it all at the recycling center. Like, it really matters how you pack the fucking truck. You know, it's just, it seems like a silly detail that's maybe being blown up. But I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I would have liked to maybe get under somebody's skin, like the cranky fan about that one. But I don't think he would have actually put up much of an argument. Um, But that's my notes on coaching. Other than it being the most important thing that... (laughs) happened in this game i think was the preparedness i we'll, we'll keep talking about the coaching as we get into the game plans here quick notes on special teams because i want to keep it quick uh huge return by gary brightwell on the kickoff uh, i thought he looked pretty good as a kickoff returner in preseason the best we've had in a while i saw some murmurs about that being the end of that experiment last week because he doesn't add anything and it's just one of those things that i think when you don't have somebody like Cavante Turpin or you know Devin Hester, somebody who's the obvious like return guy ace, where you know you've got it, um, I think it's hard to tell between the guys who are gonna hit when the play is right and the guys that aren't. And then like I think it's pretty easy to see the flops. And it's just as the kickoff has moved further and further out of the game, you got to take a little bit longer to really decide whether a guy has it or not. You know, and I think I think the the margin there is is pretty negligible anyway. Like it's understood that Gary Brightwell isn't the next Devin Hester, but that doesn't mean that it's like such a priority he needs to be replaced that we even need to be mentioning it. He's not fumbling. He's not making stupid decisions. Really, he's fine. And he had a huge kickoff return in this game. Richie James, I thought, is a punt returner. I still think he's doing a pretty damn good job. He was pretty great in this game. I think it might have been Baltimore's first punt of the game where. You know, this is always a heads-up play, but it was executed perfectly where you kind of act like you're going to fair catch or just catch the ball and then slam into the nearest gunner to let the ball bounce into the end zone. He did it perfectly. Um, good punts, good punt coverage. Special teams continuing to look good week after week. Uh, they had nothing to do with Justin Tucker missing a very, very long field goal, but that kind of was – that should have been the omen that the Ravens were going to lose this game in an unfamiliar fashion here. If Justin Tucker misses a field goal, I mean, I don't even know if he knows how to, like, have body language for a miss. He's been – whatever. That joke sucked anyway. <laughs> um, all right. Let's stick with let's stick with offense. So I thought this was a weird, interesting offensive game. I'm going to drink some water for a second. Usually I let Cranky Fan talk, and I'll drink some water. So – uh, oh well, awkward water break. This this episode brought to you by water, water. 
It's free. So offense, right? Um, it wasn't real pretty. Statistically, it was kind of gross. I kind of thought it would be gross, but funny enough, st particularly statistically bad game for the offense, but also I felt more encouraged in this game than I can remember um, in, in a while. And it's partially because the passing game started to wake up. Some things are starting to blossom a little bit here. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Baltimore has the greatest defense in the league, but it certainly is a scary one. And it's one that uh, puts a lot of pressure in the face of a quarterback that doesn't have a whole lot going on around him to help. So their reaction, I thought, was uh, impressive, even if statistically it didn't look good. I mean, honestly, I test it didn't look good for an NFL game, but... For a team that is already struggling, they, they kind of looked like they hung around against that defense, to be honest. Not so much in the beginning. They got to get out of this cold start shit. But, um, you know, the, the run game, it never really got started in this game. Um, and I kind of knew that they were going to key in on that. And I think going forward, most opponents are going to key in on this run game. Um, though the game never really got off the ground running there. Uh, it did start to show up and wear down the defense late in the game. And that seems to be the running theme throughout this year for this offense is that whether the running game is off to a good start or not, come the fourth quarter, the second half, they're really, they're really getting chunk plays out of the running game. And I, I think it speaks more to play design than anything uh, I mean, this is a pretty damn good run-blocking group, but when you have a defense that's keying in on the run, it doesn't really matter. I mean, they have to be really, really good, and they're not. But it does show that they are committed to the run, but in a way that's not boring. Well, I mean, entertainment aside, it's not predictable. You know, they're, they are pulling out all the stops and mixing the running game up as sexy as they can make it. Um all kinds of weird shit. And, and by the way, I like how Kafka and Dable pull out the craziest shit when the game is on the line. Um, I think down three in the red zone, they motion Barkley into shotgun and they motion Jones over to running back. So they pretty much put uh, Barkley under center. He takes a snap and hands to DJ, who then like fakes some revert sweep action and throws to Bellinger for first down or some shit. really wild stuff but they had another play that was really cool they had all three running backs in the backfield in sort of a wishbone formation or something around daniel jones um and they i i think they had like brightwell fake a dive and then somebody running a drag and someone running a flat underneath and it just kind of puts or, or maybe it, no no it was a wheel it was brita ran a wheel route with um Saquon Barkley running a flat route underneath. And really what it does with Jones also running in that motion, it just, it just puts that defender in a bind to cover too much area for too many people. And it just guarantees that something will be open unless it's perfectly sniffed out, which unlikely. I'm, I'm going way too long on this. But in general, the sexying up of these plays and these kinds of things, this is what's keeping the running game uh, alive late in the game and they can go to those more straight up duo and power plays late in the fourth quarter and push some tired guys out of the way um, 
I think that's really how they're making it work right now. And it's not going to work forever. But the flip side is I saw the emergence of a bit of a passing game. And all it took was Wandale Robinson to to show up on the field, to Darius Slayton to show up on the field, um, getting, I guess, Marcus Johnson onto the field. They – let's – well. Before we get into the wide receivers, but no, actually, let's stay with it. Let's stay with it because Wandale Robinson had a coming out party, and and it deserves some. Uh, I don't know about praise, but it should warrants discussion. Uh, he got a touchdown, really nice little red zone move there. I think like we're snapping from like the two or the five or some shit like that, and just kind of like quick out route makes a nice cut and quick right back in. Um, I think Bobby Skinner. And Justin Penick both described him as quicker than he is fast, and that certainly shows up in those really, really quick short passes for short yardage situations, whether that be in the red zone or just when you need a first down. Uh, <laughs> probably the most thorn in the side of the Giants' offense of the last decade and a half is short yardage situations in the, in the post-Brandon Jacobs era. Uh, which is, I mean, that's nearly a fucking decade at that point, isn't it? Um, so the passing game, other than Wandale Robinson, uh, he did have a bad drop, but he had a touchdown. He had a couple of third down conversions. Other than him, you know, Marcus Johnson carving out a role for himself rather quickly did drop an end zone pass, though. So we're still dealing with scrap heap guys here and there. Um, Bellinger continuing to impress, not just as a receiver, but also as a blocker. He's not Travis Kelsey, so I'm not going to hype him up more than he is, but he is showing up when it counts and where it counts. Had a huge touchdown in this game, was also springing blocks left and right. And quite frankly, this tight end group is a block first group anyway, so anything that he adds in the receiving game is sorely needed. And uh, he doesn't really disappoint. I mean, he converted a whole bunch of third downs as well. Uh, so Bellinger, huge game from him, really was a difference maker. More than anything, I want to talk about the offensive line. Um, in general, it feels like this O-line is coming together. Now, I highlighted Evan Neal and JPP as something that was really going to worry me. And the more I actually thought about it, the more worried I got. Um, now, I don't know if Evan Neal pitched a shutout, but he played really well. I mean, I was more worried live at the game uh, the pressure right in the face of Daniel Jones. Um, but we honestly didn't have the ball that much on offense, and we were kind of moving it so long as we weren't running it. It kind of didn't dawn on me until around halftime that I wasn't really worrying about Evan Neal anymore. Uh, and in rewatching the game two times now, I, I can say that he did all that himself. I mean, a little bit of chip help here and there, but they really did not scheme extra to help Evan Neal. Uh, They did not put a whole bunch of stuff over there to prevent him from being a liability. Here and there, there was help, just like there is uh, for any tackle, and most right tackles, to be honest. But for the most part, he handled everything pretty well. Um, Huge, huge step up for him. He had a couple of down weeks there. This was a huge, huge thing. Um... On Saquon Barkley's one-yard touchdown, Andrew Thomas, who continues to play at a Pro Bowl level this year, uh, moved JPP into another zip code. I don't even know why Barkley jumped. That that is just force of habit, I think, from him having to make up his mind and how he's going to deal with pressure and just face the moment the ball's in his hands. But 
He didn't have to. He could have just walked into the end zone. I'm, I'm not telling you, Andrew Thomas moved JPP completely. I almost moved him to the other side of the center. Um, that was insane. Um, there was a little bit of a hiccup. John Feliciano, like I said, pulled a groin or whatever. At some point, he was out for a little bit. They moved Ben Bredesen over into center. They brought Josh Zudu in to play left guard. Um, you know, they they talked on the broadcast about how he had uh, a big block on a play there, and he kind of did. He was pulled over and pulled to the right side, allowed Saquon Barkley to kind of pick his way up. But more important, I think, than him getting us four yards is failed exchange on a stunt between Ben Bredesen and Josh Azudu directly led to Daniel Jones being sacked on third down and forced the field goal there to make it I, I think at that time it was 20 to 10 is what it made it but regardless Josh Azudu is always going to be a work in progress um, but the fact that he can jump in there and play like three or four positions is pretty insane. So I guess I guess we'll continue to see him develop over time. I'm not expecting anything big from him this year anyway. So none of that was a surprise and none of that was a disappointment. Um, but one thing that we I, I noticed throughout watching the game and re-watching it, especially in the broadcast, the pockets are getting cleaner for Daniel Jones. Interesting how if I had told you in this game that both quarterbacks would fumble, but... One would be strip-sacked, trying to do too much, and the other, and then, and also be intercepted trying to do too much. I think most people would have thought that that would be Daniel Jones. It was, in fact, Lamar Jackson in this game. Daniel Jones has quietly protected the football well, and I want to say, like, the last year and a half. Uh, This notion that he's this big turnover machine is really maybe a notion that, uh, he was on a bad offense, just stuck in a bad offense. Um, but I'm not going to pretend he doesn't have a little bit of too much of a relaxed arm in the pocket. Definitely true. Um, nevertheless, Lamar Jackson looked a little bit more DJ than uh, himself in this game, or whatever the perception of DJ is. Anyway, defense. Defense, 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 defense. Um, oh, sorry. On offense, I do have stars to give out, and they go to Evan Neal. Evan Neal gets my lone offensive star. Everybody else can get honorable mentions. Daniel Bellinger probably deserves a star. I'm going to give Daniel Bellinger a star. I changed my mind right now, right here and right now. Uh, huge run run game blocking, big-time receptions when they needed, included a touchdown. That's a pretty that's a pretty flimsy star, though, uh, but it counts because every score is going to count for this team. Evan Neal gets one. Uh Probably looked like he was going to be the weakest link on this offensive line. A huge liability. Wasn't a problem whatsoever. Was huge in the run game uh, from time to time. And uh, stepped up big in the passing game. John Feliciano, I thought, had a rough game. He got hurt. Uh, first play of the game, I mean, he had a legitimate complaint where it hands to the face. He got bull rushed back. But I think just in general, his brand of game is to kind of... It's not always pretty, but does a really scrappy and feisty and violent way of just getting the job done. Uh, and it tends to look ugly, but, you know, sometimes it's just ugly and it's not good at all and it doesn't get the job done. And I think I think it might have been a little bit more of that in this game 
than in other games. I don't think he was particularly horrible, but I'm also not really an O-line expert. It just it feels like in general he struggles with really, really strong, powerful interior guys when they get in on his chest. Um, I'm also going to give a fart to David Sills. I, I, I just... He didn't do anything particularly bad, but it just feels like every time he touches the ball, if it were anybody else with the ball in their hands, it would be better. <laughs> I, I just... I don't really have anything... To say. I mean, every time he he catches the ball, I just feel like he just doesn't cut as fast as anyone else would. And it just kind of speaks to my frustration with this wide receiver group and not being able to get on the field for whatever the reason, whether it be injury or not. And, or, or, and quite frankly, the star's not performing when they're on the field. Because guys like David Sills, he's a good guy, but I don't know. He doesn't belong out there. He's already worse than Marcus Johnson out there. Already worse. Um, and I, I don't really understand if it's just his effort or whatever, but him jumping Darius Slayton on the depth chart doesn't make any sense. It's clear seeing the two of them out there at, at the same time which one is better at, at being a wide receiver. I don't think David Sills is particularly good at blocking, being in the right place at the right time. You know, I think he's maybe running wrong routes at times. I don't know. But coaching staff doesn't really have a choice until somebody gets healthy or whatever it's it is what it is you know anyway defense which is what i wanted to talk about here the defense um i'm sure a lot of people really did not love this defensive performance um i thought it was fantastic i really did it didn't look perfect uh and it certainly wasn't um Lamar Jackson and the Ravens were able to run all over this defense. They had kind of no answer for Kenyon Drake um, or Mark Andrews. But really, that was kind of it. They had no answer for two of those guys. Everything else they seemed to really, really not have a problem with. Now, I'm going to give Wink Martindale a star here. I, I, I can't not give Wink Martindale a star because I think that they actually played to their defensive game plan exactly the way he wanted to, and I think it might have turned out to be the best possible game plan. It didn't get executed perfectly either, but that's not really on him. I thought that their objective number one would be to stop the run, um, but I think it was actually objective two. I think Wink's objective one was... Do not let Lamar Jackson improvise, run, and win this game. If he's going to win, they are going to run the ball on us, which I think objective two is to stop the run here. So I don't think he wants him to run the ball. But if they're going to win, they're either going to beat our run defense or Lamar Jackson is going to have to throw like he does not throw. And uh, they certainly put it to the test, and Lamar Jackson almost threw like he doesn't throw, I guess or I guess what people think he doesn't throw. I think their big thing was that they were going to go into zone coverage on the back, maybe not blitz as much. If they're going to blitz, they're going to make it exotic under certain circumstances um, and things that he's not going to expect. But I think they wanted to be in zone so that if they were in man coverage, nobody they might have their backs to the quarterback if they're in man coverage. If people just start running downfield, you got to just chase after them. It leaves perfect lanes at the second level for Lamar Jackson, who once he escapes the pocket, the second level is the only thing preventing him from going the distance and just having the whole open field for him to juke and spin and whatever. 
So I think the game plan was to push everybody at the second level into zone coverage to keep their eyes on the quarterback to prevent that from happening. If that meant that Mark Andrews was going to get a couple of catches, then so be it. Um, that just seemed to be the case. Now, on, I, I do think that they did try to stop the run without selling out for it, and they struggled really hard. I mean, Kenyon Drink was picking them apart. Their, their pull blocks and stuff, they, they're, they're all fantastic. They have a really, really good offensive line. They have a fantastic uh, run game coordinator in their offensive coordinator in Greg Roman. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot to stop, and they have a huge stable of running backs back there, but they, they didn't do a great job stopping the run in this game. They tried a bunch of different things, um, and I guess they did just enough. But they forced Lamar Jackson to have to throw a whole bunch. Now, um, this defense clamped down when they needed to. Now, keep in mind that the Ravens only scored two touchdowns in this game. Two. So, for all their yards and all their stats, they only scored two touchdowns. One of which, by the way, we are going to talk about this. They scored, they directly scored six points on a penalty. A delay of game penalty that wasn't called. I am glad that Charles Davis brought it up and didn't let it go on the broadcast. They did it both before and after the commercial break. They had a discussion about it. They showed the replay. Um, I mean, I personally think the NFL needs to... So this exact same scenario came up not on a scoring play, but in Alabama, Tennessee. And I even said then that I didn't give a fuck who won that game, but that there has to be a better way to implement a rule... To, to enforce a rule than an admitted imperfect system in which a referee sees zero, a full second passes between him checking zero and then checking to see if the ball is snapped. You admit that if you call delay of game, it's already one second late. And I've never understood some of the weird archaic things the NFL does, like it just spots things with referee eye and you've... I'm sure you've all seen clips of that being silly where a referee is just kind of arbitrarily moving a ball. He has no fucking idea. He wasn't there. He was running up the sideline. He didn't get there in time. He's making his best guess. And it seems kind of silly because it's a game of inches, right? That's what we always say. So this was one that I just never understood because with all the rule changes with the officiating crew, with replay and with everything else, um, they just leave this one. They literally don't give a shit. I don't get the point of the play clock. I don't get it. Because there are a million easy solutions. You know who else has a play clock? Basketball. There's just a buzzer. Now, is it going to be annoying to have a buzzer go off in a stadium every single play? Absolutely. But does it have to go off in the stadium? Can't something in the referee's pocket or on his chest or whatever vibrate? When it hits zero, so he doesn't have to be looking at the actual number. He can be looking at the snap, and if that shit vibrates beforehand, he blows the whistle that's already in his mouth. Is that not a better solution I just pulled out of my ass? I don't get it. I don't get it. But nevertheless, this defense allowed the Ravens to score two touchdowns, one of which was absolute, complete, and utter horse shit as called out by Charles Davis. Great. Great stuff. Um... The passing defense. Let's talk about Mark Andrews was a real, real, real problem. Um, and here's why. They didn't sell out for the run. So that meant that they had to get some DBs on the field. 
Um, and that just puts him at a height mismatch with Mark Andrews. I don't really know what, what's this. I mean, the, the height is evident. I don't have to look it up. I'll, I'll try to do that and talk at the same time to further my point. But, I mean, you can just see when Julian Love is trying to cover Mark Andrews, uh, the height mismatch. And, and that's really what you get because when you have a linebacker, they tend to be 6'2", 6'3", 6'4". Um, Julian Love ain't that. Mark Andrews is 6'5". So when you have a six-foot guy trying to cover a six-foot guy with a huge wingspan like that and also a physically more dominating human being, he's something like 247 pounds, Julian Love ain't that, a linebacker is just a better option for somebody like that. Um but our linebackers aren't really good in coverage. And this is really where Blake Martinez, this game in particular, is a game where Blake Martinez would have been a huge asset. And I'm not commenting on him being cut. I'm just saying this is where he comes in handy. Zone coverage, keeping his eyes back towards the quarterback, and being in coverage against a guy like Mark Andrews. Would have been huge. Um, for all of Julian Love's mismatch and for all of the yards that Mark Andrews got, and by the way, Love was not the only one in coverage on him, so I don't mean to keep picking on him. The point I'm actually going to make is that Julian Love gets a star. Um, and he gets a star, obvious, right? Because he showed up when he needed to. Those coverage plays, they came about when they needed to. Huge pass breakup in the end zone. Uh, I believe he had a third down pass breakup as well. And... Um, the interception, of course. The interception is the game-defining play. And it it was him being opportunistic and jumping in front of... I don't think that was Andrews. Um, but regardless, Julian Love showed up when it counted. Also took that thing the distance. I would have liked that for him. Um, Julian Love gets a star. Congratulations. He's been having a really good year. And I think uh, last year coming in for Jabril Peppers for most of the year I think was a real insight for me into how good he has kind of become. Um, this defense, it doesn't have linebackers right now. The fact that Jalen Smith is kind of fighting with Tay Crowder for inside linebacker snaps, and then you've got somebody like um, Micah McFadden isn't even making it to the field. Landon Collins is getting uh, practice reps at the inside linebacker. I mean, they, they don't have linebackers. I mean, that, that's just a fact. That's where they're at right now. Um, so it's going to make these tight end teams pretty tough, uh, especially when they are true uh, multifaceted tight ends like that. Like, uh, like Travis Kelsey is going to be difficult. No, actually, the guys that are closer to being receivers like that, I feel more comfortable just putting a DB on them because they just run more like wide receivers. But Mark Andrews doesn't run like a wide receiver. He just has a huge, huge frame, and he's really good at getting to the right spots and understanding defenses, not taking anything away from him. I'm just saying I would feel a little bit more comfortable with somebody like Julian Love on Travis Kelsey in coverage than Mark Andrews, where it's just going to be can he time his jump right. You know, I know he can run with him. Um, but guys like Mark Andrews, they're going to be a problem for this team because they got no linebackers. Up front, the defensive front, in my opinion, they harass the Ravens' offense often. Uh, and for multiple different spots. They started to do work when Moses went down, though. Uh, but, like, Dexter Lawrence got a sack early on. They were forcing false starts left and right. Uh, and I'm not giving Meadowlands all the credit for that. I think that is a reaction. Jahad Ward continues to play a lot better than I thought. I'm um, just going to throw that out there. 
Um, but this this defensive front, I thought they played fantastic. Dexter Lawrence is like his third great game in a row uh, where he is single, being singled out for his play. Uh, got a huge sack in this game. Happened right in front of me. Got real loud at that time. That was awesome. Um, Leonard Williams, first game back, had a big-time fumble recovery when it mattered most to pretty much ice the game. And, uh, you know, continue to have pressures, be a force in the run game. Big leader up front. Kayvon Thibodeau. I mean, this is a guy who deserves a star. He's been coming on the last couple weeks, coming back from that MCL injury. You could feel this one coming. You could feel coming all game. He was getting close. Um, And then, you know, goes out there, pokes the ball out at just the right moment. I mean, that was... I was talking to a fan about Kayvon Thibodeau, and they were kind of describing him as being more like the next Justin Tuck. Uh, and I th- what they were saying is that somebody who's going to be valuable to the franchise, always going to be a factor for any opposing team, but maybe doesn't get the full respect around the league that Justin Tuck would get because he was more clutch, more than statistically numbers. Or, you know, he did what had to be done. You know, Justin Tuck, you, we would see, would line up at like the interior spots at times to let the faster guys get on the edge and things like that. Um, or, or maybe being underappreciated for his run defense, whatever the hell it is. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think I agree with that at all. I, I said that he'd be closer to a JPP where he'd have some up years and down years. Um, maybe closer to hovering around 7 to 11 sacks a year. I'm not even sure I agree with myself anymore. I think when he gets healthy and when he has somebody like Aziz across from him, He's going to really start to shine. And goddamn, it's easy to forget that this defense is playing. Leonard Williams is playing with a sprained MCL first game back. Kayvon Thibodeau, a rookie, playing with a sprained MCL only a couple games back. They're not playing with Aziz Ojolari. Easy to forget. He has barely played this year. I am so excited to see how that's going to go. Um, That is all I have on this game other than that was fucking awesome it's it is i knew we were gonna win i felt comfortable about this game i made a bet for some shots about this game going in um and up until the bullshit delay game i felt confident it was only after the only after the no no call delay of game score that i started to feel discouraged um and it really it's it's more so how this team can just continue to perform. I mean, it's insane what they did against Green Bay and with who they have on their roster. Just nuts. And they stepped up to the task again today. And I don't really care if this team gets recognition from around the league or not. You know, I, I think the the meme of the worst five and one team in the league is is funnier than you know whether or not that has any basis in reality. Um, I just don't, I don't care. Uh, none of that really matters to me. I, I like that they are playing the way they're playing. Like everything is just speaking to things that I can be hopeful for the future beyond this year, because the wins, the wins are starting to matter this year. It's starting to look almost like an inevitability that they're going to the playoffs in, in a wild card fashion at the very least, because looking ahead at the schedule, this is probably one of the last really hard games they have that's outside of the division so um but 
all of these things speak to coaching, preparedness, roster building, understanding of what a coach needs to fulfill his roster, game planning, all of these things that don't matter necessarily for this year. Because if this year is a waste because we're trotting out David Sills at wide receiver, then that's okay because all of these things will continue to matter going forward. And remember, other than Wink, these are some new coaches. This is a brand new head coach. This is a brand new offensive coordinator. I don't know, man. It's it's easy to feel really hyped, really hopeful. Um, I, it almost doesn't matter that Philly is 6-0 and um, to me because I never really envisioned competing this year the way that they are. And uh, I'm all for it now. I am I am all for it now. I am ready to talk my shit. It has been too long of not talking shit for real. Um, so I am ready to be an obnoxious Giants fan. And I hope you guys are too. So be obnoxious with me on Twitter at football underscore grump. Go harass some fucking Jaguars fans. Go harass Evan Ingram. Uh, don't do that. Don't do that. But go talk shit to Jaguars fans. Get it started. Call them out on their dumb Duval shit. Um, hopefully, hopefully Kayvon can retake his picture. Can't believe this, my life, uh, in the pool, in the stadium at Jacksonville. That's what I would like after a nice win. Um, so go talk some shit on Twitter, uh, and, and talk shit in the comments as well on YouTube, just giants, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, etc. Talk shit with me. Get excited for this year. Get excited for wins. I will see you guys in the stands on Sundays, but I will see you next on Friday morning with the Cranky Fan right here. So until then, go Giants. Go Giants!